The Cadrone Brook is mentioned in 11 verses of the Bible, and today we will talk about its significance. Welcome to the Doctrine for Doxology podcast. You can always email me, doctrine for the number four, doxology at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at the real bear martin and it is for me it is new year's morning so i'm recording this on monday morning the uh the podcast will release tomorrow so i hope everybody had a wonderful new year let me share how our family rang in the new year we had some friends over and had a great time and then of course we, we all have younger kids and so friends went home around um we'll just say like around like 10 o'clock or so and so it was still a pretty pretty late night but my daughter, my oldest daughter, wanted to stay up till midnight, and so I stayed up with her. We watched America's Funniest Home Videos until uh, until it was time for the ball to drop and all that stuff, so we had a great time doing that. But my younger kids wanted to, I told them, if you fall asleep, I'll wake you up, because they were, they were excited about it too. And so we're about five minutes from midnight, and I hear some footsteps upstairs right above me, and then some crying. And so I walk in, and if you know anything about our kids, all three of our kids throw up all the time. I mean, just constantly. We have changed bed sheets so many times in the middle of the night. Our All three of our kids have really bad gag reflexes, and they just throw up all the time. So that's what was going on. So I, I go upstairs. I was about time for to wake them up just to watch the ball drop. And one of my daughters is throwing up and crying and, you know, so uh, happy new year. <laughs> my wife and I just laughed about that uh, after after we got everything uh, wrapped up. We, In fact, while one daughter is throwing up, I'm like, you know, I told my wife, go tell uh, my other older daughter, go tell her to pause the, the TV. <laughs> so we celebrated the new year about five minutes after everyone else. But uh, anyway, so just thought you I would share that story with you. If you've um, if you got a family out there and sometimes things don't go as planned, it's okay. You're you are not alone. There's lots of people just like you out there. All right, so let's start in with today's episode. So as many of you already know, this podcast covers content from a Sunday school class that I teach at my church. But over Christmas, uh, like Christmas week and then New Year's week as well, we take a break from those life group classes. We still have church, of course, but um, we just don't have the life group classes. So I have done a few bonus episodes on just some random topics. And so today is one of those episodes. And then next week, we will start back in with the doctrine of creation. So today, we are talking about the Cadrone Valley or the Brook of Cadrone. Okay. The Cadrone Valley runs north and south through Jerusalem and borders the east side of the Temple Mount, okay? So to help you picture what I just said, if you hold out your left hand in front of you, that would represent the Temple Mount, the mountain on which the temple was built, okay? Now, with your right hand, if you just move it up and down beside your left hand, okay, just hold up your right and, and kind of move it up and down, slice it up and down, that would represent the Cadrone Valley, Okay, and so it begins north of Jerusalem and runs between the Temple Mount and then on the other side of where your hand would be, the the one that's slicing, that would be the Mount of Olives. So it runs in between these two mounts, and the 
uh, it, it empties or ends in the Dead Sea. So much of the time, this valley is dry and sandy during the, the dry months, but during the rainy season, there is a brook which forms, and that's called the Cadron Brook or the Brook of Cadron, okay? The name Cadron means dark or turbid, and this is possibly because the sediment that flows with the water. So you can imagine if this is like a dry, sandy valley, and then, you know, in rainy season, there's there's water that builds up at the bottom and starts flowing, then there's a lot of loose sediment. And so the brook has a, a murky or dark appearance. So that may be why it was called that. Anyway, we must remember this, that this is running right beside the temple, okay? We must remember that the Jewish temple was not just a beautiful architectural structure, but it was the place where hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed every year. Now, Josephus was a Jewish historian, and he was writing during the time of the New Testament, so in the first century, and he reports that in one year— there were 256,000 lambs sacrificed during Passover week, okay? 256,000 lambs. Now, the blood is drained from these lambs as they're sacrificed. So that is a bunch of lambs, and that is a bunch of blood. And where did that blood drain to? It drained into the Kidron Valley, okay? So there, it mixed with the water of the brook of Kidron and flowed down to the Dead Sea, okay? So throughout Scripture, the Kidron Valley, or Brook of Cadron is mentioned during many key events, actually. So it's only mentioned in 11 verses, but these are some, some key verses. So let's kind of walk through those together, and hopefully this will be a, uh, a nice little Bible study for you on the Cadron Valley. Now, uh, the first thing I want to say is that it's mentioned during for, for the destruction of idols, okay? Now, Moses sets an example for how the Israelites are supposed to destroy idols. Remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, the Israelites made a golden calf and began worshiping it. And then Moses is going to destroy that idol. Now, Moses, reminding the people of what happened, he says this in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is toward the end of Moses's life, and he's kind of like giving the people, he's delivering these, these final messages to the people before they go into the promised land, and he's reminding them of many of the things that have happened in the last 40 years since they came out of Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness. And so he's talking about this event where he destroyed the golden calf. He says this, this is in Deuteronomy 9, 21. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was, until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. Now, when this happened, this is not the brook Cadron, okay? But all I'm saying here is that the first idol that the Israelite nation had, Moses crushed it up into ashes and threw those in the brook that ran down from the mountain, okay? Now, uh, then you have the, the nation of Israel, they come in the promised land. You have King Saul and King David and then King Solomon, okay? So after King Solomon, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. Israel was actually just referencing the northern kingdom, and Judah was the southern kingdom, okay? So you have the nation of Israel, but then it gets split into two kingdoms. Israel is the northern, 
uh, Judah is the southern kingdom. Now, most of the kings for both of these kingdoms were wicked and promoted idolatry. But the kingdom of Judah did have a few. Every once in a while, the kingdom of Judah would have some good kings along the way, and they would try to reform their land, okay? And you can read about these kings in the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So if you read those, you'll, you'll hear constantly about all these wicked kings, and then every once in a while, you'll read about a good one, okay? Now, when the good kings took office... They sought to bring the people back to the proper worship of Yahweh, the Lord, and they would cleanse the land of idols, okay? And following the example that Moses gave them, they would burn the idols and threw the ashes in a brook. And because all of these good kings were were out of the, the kingdom of Judah, that headquarters there was Jerusalem, okay? And so when they burned these idols and threw the ashes in a brook, this happened in the brook Kadron, in the in the Kadron Valley. So 1 Kings 15, 11 through 13 says, And Asa, that's one of these good kings, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. He put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Makah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook of Kadron. In 2 Kings 23, we read of Josiah basically doing the same thing. And also in 2 Chronicles 29, we read of Hezekiah cleansing the land of idols. And in this verse, we read of idols being present in the inner part of the temple. That's how wicked they had become. They, they were putting idols up in the inner part of the temple. 2 Chronicles 29.16 says... The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kadron. All right? And so this this brook Kadron is where idols were taken and destroyed, and their dust was, was scattered in the brook, and, and they were following the example that Moses gave them. All right? So that's that's one purpose for this Kadron Valley. It was for the destruction of idols. Uh, second, it was it acted as a a border, so to speak, for Jerusalem. Certainly, if you were going to try to conquer Jerusalem you, as an army, you would not attack from this side because you would have the the temple the the Temple Mount is up on a steep incline, and this you would have to fight coming out of this valley. So you definitely had the low ground. So this was not a, a good place to attack. So this this Cadrone um, Valley was kind of a natural barrier for any uh, military trying to attack Jerusalem, but it also served as a, to, to act as a border. So in Jeremiah 31, we have a popular passage from the Old Testament about the New Covenant. Now, a few verses down from that, Jeremiah is prophesying about the rebuilding of of the city of Jerusalem. And so this is Jeremiah 31, 38 through 40. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kadron 
to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. So there we have uh, kind of laying out the, the borders of this rebuilt city. Uh, one of those borders would be the Brook Kadron. Now, this also acted as a border in the story of Shimei. Okay, now let me explain who that is. In 2 Samuel 16, uh, this, this is taking place. David is on the run from his son Absalom, who has taken over the kingdom. Okay, so David comes into this town of Bahurim, and a man named Shimei comes out and curses David along the road. Okay, now Shimei was, was from the um, the house of Saul. Okay, so so Saul, uh, David took over Saul's kingdom. Saul disobeyed the Lord. He was stripped of his kingdom, and David takes his place. And so Shimei did not like David, okay? So he he comes out, and as David comes in this town, he comes out cursing David. Now, he didn't just say a few mean things and leave. He traveled alongside the group, throwing rocks and dust at them, okay? So this was <laughs> this would have been a, a significant event if you're just trying if you're already fleeing one one king uh, Absalom who's trying to kill you 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 and your group are are fleeing him and you come in this town and then now you got to deal with this guy cursing you and throwing rocks at you okay so that's that's the scene here now because of what he was speaking to David one of David's men wanted to kill the guy he in 2 Samuel 16:9 then Abishai the son of Zeruiah said to the king why should this dead dog curse my lord the king let me go over and take off his head okay <laughs> so i just think about this guy who's who's trying to be patient he's trying to obey the wishes of david his you know who who he still respects as king and he's like riding his horse and i i just picture like stones every once in a while like clinking off of his helmet or you know hitting him in the shoulder or whatever and he's just like rolling in his eyes just just wanting to take this guy out but david was merciful to this man and spared his life now at the time of david's death David told Solomon about this man, okay? And this is how Solomon dealt with Shimei. In 1 Kings 2, 36 and 37, it says, Then the king, that is Solomon, sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place whatever. For on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kadron, Know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Okay? So Solomon's saying, listen, my father is is merciful to you. I will pass on that mercy, but you will not go betraying us. You will not sneak off and and you know get an army together or, or anything like that. I, I want to know where you're at. So you build a house in Jerusalem, and if you leave Jerusalem, if you cross over the brook Kadron, then our deal is off and, and you you're a dead man. Okay, so this Brook Kadron is a is a border for Jerusalem. Uh, lastly, on this same theme, the last one I want to talk about is when David leaves Jerusalem. Now, I purposefully went out of order in in chronology here because I wanted to save this one for last. I wanted this to be fresh on your mind when we talk about the the Brook Kadron. So David, in many ways, is a type of Christ. In Scripture, there are many examples of of what we call typology. In typology, you have the type, 
and the antitype. Now, hang with me. I'm going to explain all this. You have the type and the antitype. In this case, anti does not mean opposite or against, okay? Like like the antichrist, okay? It, it's not being used in that same way. Um, it can also, that, that prefix can also mean like corresponding to, okay? Now, the Lexham Bible Dictionary defines typology this way. It says, typology is, quote, a literary hermeneutical, so with those words, just think of biblical interpretation, okay? A literary hermeneutical device in which a person, event, or institution in the Old Testament is understood to correspond with a person, event, or institution in the New Testament, okay? So an example of typology would be Adam as the type and Jesus Christ as the Antitype. In Romans 5.14, it says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is speaking about Christ. Okay, so this, this is Jesus. Just as Adam was the head of all mankind, Jesus is the head of those who are redeemed by him. Romans 5.19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is why it is so, and this, we're, we're going to get into this with when the doctrine of creation, but while I'm mentioning this, I might as well say it right now. This is why it's so important that your your view of, you know, who was Adam? Is Adam just, does Adam just represent a group of people? No, Adam was a specific individual because our, our salvation, one of the arguments for the 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 foundation we have, the the trust that we have that our salvation is legitimate, is that just as Adam brought sin into the world, it just by one man, so can one by one man it can be taken your sin can be taken away. So so you have to hold to a literal historical Adam if you also hold to a literal historical Jesus. Okay? So that it Adam was a type of Jesus Christ. Another example of typology would be the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. So they were rescued from their slavery, and Moses led them out of slavery. Moses is the type. As Christians, we are rescued from our slavery to sin. Jesus led us out of our slavery to sin. So Jesus is the antitype. Moses is the type, and Jesus is the antitype. Okay, so now let's practice finding types and antitypes, shall we? All right, so Absalom is again King David's son, and Absalom has won the loyalty of the people, so David has to flee Jerusalem. Okay, so David is kind of gathering up. He's he's got to get out of Jerusalem quick before he's he's executed. So some of his key people are surrounding him. There's some goodbyes. There's some people that are that are going to stay for different reasons. Um, and so that's what's going on here. And then David's David's going to flee. Okay, so in Second Samuel fifteen twenty three it says, and all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron. And all the people passed on toward the wilderness. So the, all the people here are the people that are going to side with David and, and are leaving with him. They're leaving Jerusalem with him. Now, as David crossed over the brook Kadron and begins to ascend the Mount of Olives, he finds out one of his counselors, Ahithophel, has betrayed him and sided with Absalom. All right? Now, hopefully you noticed what what 
geographical landmark David crossed. He crossed the Brook Cadrone. And this is in the context of his betrayal. Okay, so fast forward to the night of the Last Supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He revealed one of the disciples would betray him. He shares a piece of of bread with Judas and says, what you are going to do, do quickly. He Obviously, during this time, he, he has the Last Supper with the disciples. Then Jesus predicts Peter's denial and teaches them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So a lot has has gone on here in this night. He tells them he is going to prepare a place for them and comforts them. But after this, in John 18, 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Cadron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So Jesus here is the antitype of David. David David was fleeing Jerusalem after being betrayed by Ahithophel, one of his most trusted counselors. Now Jesus crosses over this brook of Cadron for a little extra time of prayer before he is found by Judas and the soldiers. Also, Jesus's crucifixion took place during Passover. The blood from the temple sacrifices would have been draining in this brook. And remember what John the Baptist says about Jesus in the first chapter of this same gospel. So I just read you a verse from John 18, but in John 1.29, it says, this is John the Baptist looking off. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So certainly we we have a another typology here where with the lamb of God and the sacrifices of the lamb during Passover and then then of course Jesus Christ is ultimately our Passover lamb. Now, sometimes with this typology, it, it's tough to prove the author was actually wanting to connect the type and the antitype, okay? It's tough to prove that John was thinking of David when he wrote about Jesus also crossing over the brook Cadron. So was John thinking about the blood of the lambs in this brook when he wrote that Jesus crossed over the brook Cadron? Or was he just writing it just to give us some landmarks to to tell the story of where Jesus went? So as you look for these types and antitypes in Scripture, you, you will start to see them everywhere as you look for them. Uh, think about Adam and Eve being tempted in the garden and now Jesus will sweat drops of blood as he refuses to do anything other than his Father's will. Luke twenty-two forty-two, a very popular verse. Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is, this is not what Adam and Eve said in the Garden of Eden when they were being tempted. Now, some people will propose some ridiculous types and antitypes. Okay, so they're out there, and those are quite a stretch. However, there are many which have been recognized by Christians over the centuries. They, Christians see these, these patterns in Scripture, if you will, or they see how these things uh, line up, things like the Brook Cadrone. It's important to remind ourselves that John and the other biblical authors were writing as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is the unifying author of Scripture. He weaves together the books of the Bible so that we have one cohesive book. All right, and so even if the even if John, the author of the Gospel of John, is not thinking about this, Christians over the centuries have seen this correlation with David crossing over the brook of Cadron and Jesus doing so as well. And so we we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is the is the ultimate 
author of Scripture, holding all of Scripture together. And so we we can see beauty in how all of these individual books written by several different men all weave together and, and they... They're in unison, okay? And so even in fiction, the best books are the ones where the reader picks up on themes throughout the book, which culminate in a wonderful ending. And why do we enjoy books like that? Is it just evolution? Or is it because God made us with a love for good stories, for, for the bad guys being defeated, for the beauty of someone sacrificing themselves for others? That there's a richness to the biblical story. That the biblical story is one that we just naturally love. We we love the the self sacrifice. People people will love Jesus for the just the story part of it. Jesus, you know, he was a good teacher. He did lots of good things for people. He sacrificed him himself. Um, you know, pe- people love that part. Now, when you get into the doctrinal teachings of who Jesus says he is and 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 what it means, if you are a sinner, what that means for you, then that's where people buck up at the Bible. But there is certainly a richness to the biblical story. And, and so many times I think we fail to read the Bible as a story. We grab a verse here and there to help us through the day, but we lose some of the story features of the Bible. So as you read through the Bible in 2024, and, and you should read the entire Bible in 2024. If you're not on a plan already, it's New Year's Day. Start it. Or, or this podcast comes out tomorrow. You're, you're one day behind, but you can catch up easy. All right. So as you read through the Bible in 2024, be on the lookout for types and antitypes. If you read a city or a name repeated in Scripture, look it up and see if there may be any significance to that. So as a closing verse, this is another example of typology from Jesus himself. John 3, 14 and 15. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Mm